Okay. Well, we've got a few announcements to go over this morning, so I need to get started on time. If you did not get a bulletin on your way in, be sure to grab one. Um, like last week, all of our songs are in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, so if you prefer to follow along with that, you can grab one of those. Um, there are a few psalms that may be unfamiliar to you um, that if you like following the music and, and that helps you, then the Trinity Psalter hymnal will be available to you. Um, I've got, we've got a lot of announcements and I don't want, I don't have time to go over all of them, but I want to couple the, a few of them together and say a little bit of, uh, about our current situation with COVID. So, um, first of all, if you are not on our newsletter sign, be sure to let me know, give me your email address because we send all these announcements during the week. And so most, none of these are new to you if you've already read the newsletter. Um, but the uh, any future changes to these details we would obviously let you know as well uh, in that email newsletter so be sure you're you get the weekly reminder um, first of all our t-shirts are here finally ten dollars a piece um, all we did was take your orders last time and not everyone that probably wants a shirt now was in on that order so uh, we bought we ordered extras and so if you didn't place an order, just let us know what size you would want, and we probably have one already. Um, but it's $10 per shirt. You can see Carrie afterwards to pick up your shirt. We've already, if you did order it, we've got it set aside for you. And, um, and so we'll just exchange the $10 per shirt, and then you can enjoy that. Uh, I, think, I thought they turned out really well. We've got three different styles, and if you haven't ordered one um, and we don't have your size, let us know and we'll be sure to place another order uh, once we get enough quantity to make it worthwhile. Uh, secondly, our children's Christmas choir begins practice today, so uh, any kids elementary age, um, or I guess if you're older and just want to sing with them, that's probably okay. Maybe not adult-sized kids, you know, but um, anyways, we're, we're going to enjoy. We've done this every year for Christmas. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun tradition we have. We'll just have two simple practice sessions after the service, um, one today and one next week. Uh, we cleared the stage so you guys can practice up on the stage. It'll be fun. We'll have um, teachers there. We've got song sheets for you to learn the songs. Um, and then we'll actually keep those song sheets here. Uh, so we won't have to reprint them, but you'll be able to um, look those songs up and practice them at home as well. Uh, so see Ray following the service. Um, I'm not sure if there's a set time, but just after a few minutes of fellowship, you'll be practicing in the fellowship hall. All right, and then next weekend, we do have our men's breakfast. Uh, that'll, be this, that'll be Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 12th at 9 a.m., here. Uh, we'll be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and the foundations of biblical masculinity. So I encourage you to join us for that. Bring your sons. Uh, men of all ages are, are welcome to attend. And then on the following Sunday, we will be distributing these flyers, which if you didn't grab one, you can pick one up on uh, at the entryway there. It's uh, our lessons in carol service. We've done this several times. We haven't done it every year, but it's, um, we'd like to do this on Christmas Eve now that we have our own place. We have a little more freedom uh, to do these things, and so we're going to do it on Christmas Eve at 4 o'clock 
here at the church. If you haven't done a Lessons in Carol's service, it's, it's pretty simple. We just read passages of scripture from the Old and New Testament. Um, and then, you know, referring to uh, prophecies about the birth of Christ and then reading about uh, the birth and, its, and the impact uh, from Scripture. And then we'll also sing traditional hymns um, and Christmas carols. So it's usually no more than an hour. Um, and then we'll have some time for snacks and fellowship afterwards. Uh, but we plan on distributing flyers in the neighborhood and just passing them out next Sunday. So if you're interested in joining us for that, uh, please do. We'll knock on doors and, and hand them out to, um, to anyone who comes uh, or anyone who uh, answers. <laughs> and if not, we'll leave it on their, on their door. All right. Lastly, I wanted to say a word about the lockdowns. As you know, um, our region, if, if you don't know, uh, you will shortly, our region is, is in that um, it's below 15% ICU capacity, which was the guideline that the governor established um, for reinstituting lockdowns. Um, Fresno will enter into that at 11:59 today. Um, some some statements say one o'clock. That might be where Fresno is, is putting. Anyways, it's it's an hour and one minute less of lockdown. Uh, depending on which one you go by. So I'd go by the one o'clock time. Um, anyways, the, what they're going to do is, is restrict worship to outside uh, services, um, and they would still require social distancing and mass. Um, <clears throat> so the first thing I want to say is we, we don't deny the reality of, of COVID. Um, hospitalizations are higher than they've ever been. Um, and this, this particular lockdown will be a minimum of at least three weeks. However, I would also say that we have never in this region been over capacity. And the capacity of the ICU units oftentimes is simply determined by how many beds are manned by staff. So it's not that we don't have the resources, we've simply furloughed nurses to the point that we don't have as many beds staffed currently. Uh, what's the remedy? hire back the nurses so that they are at capacity that they can be at capacity so there's a lot of mismanagement of resources right now um, but I just want to say I do think COVID is real uh, we also think that worship is essential and because of that we will remain open we will remain indoors and we'll worship as we have been doing um, should something catastrophic occur and we need to change those plans, we'll, we will let you know. So we're not simply saying this is our indefinite plan, but at this point it is, our, it, it is where we stand. Um, we believe the government overreach is strong. We think Orwell was right, um, that, the, that this has proven Orwell to be right in Animal Farm in 1984. Um, they are using every uh, every strategy that, that he wrote about in that book. Um, so l the one thing I would say is if you're interested in reading more about lockdowns, um, one of the best resources I've come across is the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, basically, it argues that lockdowns are ineffective um, and that th at best they delay cases, but it comes at a significant cost. And so, um, and that cost has been evident 
uh, unfortunately not so much portrayed in the news as it should be, but the cost is significant to these lockdowns and going back into them I think is a, is a grave mistake. Um, but you're adults and you can um, make those decisions on your own about how, how you'll respond to that. We as a church will continue to meet and we'll continue to worship indoors um, and, and as, as we are doing. But if you have any concerns or questions about that, please see one of us, uh, see one of the elders. We'd love to chat with you further about those things if you have any questions. But I know you're not here to learn more about COVID. Um, we're here to worship the Lord. And so let us take our, let's turn our thoughts toward him. Let us take some time to prepare our hearts for worship. We'll look there at our call to worship from Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It's in your bulletin. invite you to stand. As always, I'll read the light print. We'll read the bold together. <clears throat> Let us lift our voices and exclaim that worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Heavenly Father, it is a joy to gather together with your saints this morning to lift our hearts to you in worship, to sit under the preaching of your word, uh, to pray your word and sing your word back to you. Lord, we recognize that this is a privilege. It's a it's a, uh, a calling and it's an invitation from you, but it is a tremendous privilege to be able to respond to that call. Lord, we are grateful that we have a place to gather together, that we can see one another in person and worship alongside each other, lifting our hearts to you, Lord, in psalms, songs and spiritual songs. Lord, help us to meditate upon these truths, to not just sing them with our mouths, but to, but to uh, reflect upon them in our hearts, to meditate upon them in our minds. Lord, ultimately to honor and worship you in spirit and in truth. And we recognize that in order to do that, you must enable us. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would cause us to set aside the distractions, uh, that, it, that we would focus our full attention upon giving you the glory that you alone are worthy to receive. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you with wholehearted thanksgiving. And that might sound shocking to our ears in considering all of the frustrations and challenges that we've faced this year. But yet, you've taught us in your word that our circumstances don't determine our gratitude. Lord, we are grateful for the spiritual blessings primarily that you have provided. And we live in a fallen world, and so we can have expectations to face trials and tribulations. And we contribute with our own sinful condition to that result. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us, fill our minds with thoughts of, of your blessings. Lord, we are inundated with fearful warnings um, everywhere we turn. And uh, there's no really greater time in my lifetime where I've felt the division in our nation, politically, spiritually, um, physically, Lord, and in every way, even within family, units. There is great discord. So, Lord, we come here for a refuge. We come here to be reminded that we are your covenant children, that we can pray to a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who is working all things, including everything in this year, for our good and ultimately for your glory. So, Lord, we delight in that. We delight to sing about that, to give you praise, to give you thanks. Lord, that you have, you have given us mercies that are new every morning. We recognize that you are enthroned forever. That you have established your throne for justice. And even that word has come under attack, Lord. It's been redefined. Lord, help us to be strong and steadfast in your word, that we would understand when it's being twisted for different purposes. When people lose sight of the priority of the gospel and the proclamation of the church, Lord, protect us from becoming wayward, from following the, after the itching ears of the culture. Lord, ultimately help us to preach and worship an audience of one, that we would recognize you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, that doesn't mean we can't have compassion and love for those hurting around us. We want to have eyes to see the needs of our neighbors, and we want to do what we can to support and care for them. Lord, so don't allow us to become heartless in our steadfast stance. But not, not to lose our compassion and our desire to maintain and uphold the truth. They are not mutually exclusive ideals. And so, Lord, preserve us and protect us by your spirit. Lead us 
guide us through these tumultuous times. Help us to be good stewards of the resources that you've provided. Help us to be generous and joyful givers. Lord, ultimately, we want to honor you in the way that we gather, in the way that we honor and worship, and in the way that we love our neighbors and help us to never downplay the need of considering their soul in a time of recognizing uh, great health concerns. We cannot ignore the concerns for their spiritual health. So Lord, use us to be a light in darkness. Help us to be a city on a hill to proclaim your truth unashamedly and full of compassion for the lost and needy. Lord, we are your creatures and we come before the creator. We know that you can protect us and provide for us. And Lord, we have dealt with viruses and we have dealt with health concerns most of our lives, but we've never seen the kind of response that we're seeing now from our government. And, and Lord, we, we pray that you would give them wisdom beyond their understanding. Help them to navigate these times in, in such a way that, that maintains peace, that upholds uh, the need for caring, uh, for those who are most vulnerable, protects health. Lord, these things are, are critical and important, but at the same time, Lord, that they would uphold the rights of their citizens, not trample, under, trample all over the Constitution. Lord, we have, we have great concerns about the future of our nation. And yet we don't, we don't trust in politics. We don't trust in our self-defense or even our military. Lord, we, we trust in you. And as your people, we want to depend upon you and respond in a way that honors and glorifies you. And Lord, sometimes that's going to be different among brothers and sisters, and we need to have an awareness of that and, and an appreciation for those differences that we can use discernment, not chastise others who think differently about these matters of indifference. But Lord, may we, again, as your church, stand firm on what is clear, what is true, and that being the centrality of your gospel the centrality of the work of Christ in redemptive history. Let us always fall back upon our union with Christ. And because we are united to him, we are united to one another. Despite our many and significant differences, we will worship you for all eternity alongside those who acted and did different things in this life, Lord. And, and we can be grateful for that diversity. So, Lord, help us to continue to prioritize uh, you above all. 
And as we seek to honor our authorities, Lord, help us to not swing, one, swing from one extreme to the other. Help us to be reasonable. And help us to continue to pray for our authorities. That they would maintain peace and that they would not interfere with the church's authority and responsibility. We thank you for this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn with me to Joel chapter 3. I've asked our ruling elder, Matt Balaka, to read to us our passage of scripture this morning. Joel chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem... I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this to the nations. Consecrate for war, stir up mighty men, Let all the men of war draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion, and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk and all the, steam, the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, 
and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you, Matt. Well, we'll continue to worship God through our gifts and offerings. And as a reminder, we are not passing around uh, the basket or bag right now, but that is available for you in the back. Um, and you can leave your offering after the service. We do believe, however, that our giving is an act of worship. Amen. And so we want to give um, accordingly. So Deuteronomy 14 teaches us this. Second Corinthians 9, 7. All right, you're going to have to let me, let me do the talking, but I appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So it's a, an encouragement there to give and then also to enjoy the benefits and, and privileges of that gift, which is what the church is for, right? As we give, we are giving out of the resources God has blessed us with and then benefiting from the use of those resources for our spiritual good. So let us um, ask the Lord for his blessing upon this gift. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and we ask that you would take the resources uh, that, that you yourself have provided us with. We, we are thankful that you have cared for us. And we ask that you would take those resources and use them for your kingdom purposes in this community, in this nation of, of need in this world, Lord, as we use them for the support of, of missionaries, as we use them for the mercy ministries that are needed here uh, in our own context and beyond. But Lord, we, we ultimately want to give in generous and joyful ways for the for your kingdom purposes lord so use them however you see fit and help us as leaders of the church to be good stewards of those resources it's in christ's name we ask it amen, amen. <clears throat> well i invite you to stand our hymn of preparation to sit under the preaching of god's word is great shepherd who leadest thy people it's psalm 80 we'll be singing verses one two four and six. Shall be saved with thy gracious. 
despised by our foes. O Lord God Almighty, in mercy restore, and we shall be saved with thy faith. Amen. Well, I invite you to be seated. You can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 13 this morning. And I alluded to this earlier, but uh, George Orwell's parody of communism in Animal Farm basically provides an outline of how certain dictators have responded to COVID. In chapter 5, Napoleon decided to end Sunday meetings where all the farm animals would vote on various decisions. He began making decisions for the farm among a small private committee and then having Squealer go and report those decisions to the rest of the animals. They removed the ability for them to vote on the matters. Well, Squiller shared the news of this transition with the rest of the animals, saying this, No one believes more firmly than Comrade Napoleon that all animals are equal. He would be only too happy to let you make your decisions for yourselves, but sometimes you, make, you might make the wrong decisions, comrades. <laughs> and then, where should we be? So it's easy to feel defeated. Uh, when it appears the wicked are able to accomplish their will without any hindrance or retaliation. Uh, while the church struggles to survive and unfortunately more and more are closing as these lockdowns continue. And then you have businesses with godless, godless motives thriving. Walmart. So we see the same thing in our, our personal relationships, right? We see these challenges causing division 
among us. And so the frustration that results can lead to a compromising approach right, to our Christian calling and sanctification. Oftentimes we experience these frustrations and doubts because we actually envy what the wicked are able to get away with. Right? We think that we're missing out on some superior way of living. But we rarely see the fearful emptiness that accompanies the wicked. All right? We all have important lessons to learn. And I think one for us this year is that your longing for perfect justice will never be satisfied in this fallen world. I believe that's true for all of us. It's, it's quite possible that faulty expectations have compounded our frustrations in 2020. And so this morning, we'll further analyze our condition and consider how Scripture leads us toward a hopeful response. Right, we'll see our, our critical need for God's revelation in order to rightly understand and respond to the frustrations of living in a fallen world. We must live with a view towards the final judgment at the end of this present age. And ultimately, the revelation of redemptive history provides us or prepares us to face that judgment with hope rather than fear. We'll see why that is this morning. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon our reading of his word and our sitting under its preaching. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, that you have spoken to us, our maker and our creator. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so speak to us, Lord. Help us to draw near to you, to have eyes to see and ears to hear our need for your word. Help us to depend all the more to find comfort in your word and not in the news, not in uh, just the, the random places which we oftentimes go, whether it's uh, food, the kitchen, whether it's uh, friends. Lord, those things can be helpful, but Lord, we primarily want to rest in you. Lord, we want to use the resources and gifts that you've given us to further our trust in you and not to weaken it. So Lord, help us to depend upon you now to, to have hearts that are softened to the truth, that we would respond in repentance and obedience. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So read with me Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 13. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, the first point in your outline, if you're following along there, <clears throat> is act according to your age. And I've, I know you've heard this from your parents, and we swore as kids that we'd never say it to our kids, and yet many of us have. 
act your age. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually referring to that. I'm referring to acting according to this present age, this present evil age in which we live. There's a certain level of freedom to live in ways that are contrary to God's revealed will, but the time of judgment is near. Scripture is clear on that. And so this reality ought to temper any expectations we have prior to Christ's return and encourage our perseverance to the end. The Old Testament prophet Daniel was told to seal up the words of his prophecy and tell the time of the end. He, did it three, he was told that three times in Daniel chapter 8, verse 26, in 12, 4, and 9. But John here, in this passage, in verse 10, is encouraged to keep the words of his prophecy unsealed. Revelation is meant to be read and understood by the church throughout this present age, which, as we've seen multiple times in this series, is from Christ's first to his second coming, to the entire age. It's the latter days. This is the church age, as some have called it. Revelation is meant to be read and understood by the church throughout this present age, for the time is near. A time that was distant for Daniel has now arrived for John. And writing at the end of the first century. Two churches who needed to hear that revelation in that century. And so the fact that these words remain unsealed indicates their importance for our present condition. Just as it did for their present condition. Revelation is a critical component to our ability to persevere. Amen. And so the church is supposed to consider Christ's return as imminent, as an imminent possibility. The events portrayed in Revelation have already begun, but they are not consummated until Christ's return. And so those living in this present age have gained a, a great deal of insight into the detailed plans of God's redemptive purposes. Right? The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ provide confirmation that we are living in the latter days where the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies has been inaugurated. It's begun to be fulfilled. But we await that consummation at his return. And if we can keep that in mind, I think it, it affects the way we live presently living in light of the coming judgment, living in light of Christ's redeeming work at the cross. So those living in, in the present age have gained that insight, and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus provide that confirmation that we are living in these days, and it reveals an ongoing expectation as well of tribulation. There's, there's no idea that during this present age we're going to be kept entirely safe we're going to struggle george ladd comments on this passage in a helpful way regarding our present struggle he says john's prophecy outlines the spiritual struggle between god and satan specifically there in chapter 12 which expresses itself wherever the state exceeds its divinely ordained role as the supporter of law and order as we read about in Romans 13. So there's a physical component to that spiritual reality that's taking place. But that 
physical component is true in every age. Wherever we see that, that um, wrestling between church and state, between God and Satan. So therefore, the, he, he continues, while the book is primarily concerned with the climax of the struggle in the appearance of Antichrist, <clears throat> it's also relevant to Christian experience wherever and whenever the anti-Christian principle of totalitarianism manifests itself. Amen. So generations are largely defined by major events that occurred in their lifetime and that affected a majority of the population. So we can go back to the greatest generation who survived the Great Depression, who survived World War II. They tend to believe in personal responsibility, duty, honor, and faith. The silent generation that followed them is defined by the Korean War and the Cold War. They stood up to communism and began the civil rights movement. The baby boomers enjoyed the years after World War II. They did see war, but they also began testing the limits of their freedom with indulgence and sex, drugs, and rock and roll that defined that generation. Gen Xers, Millennials, and Gen Zers have all experienced various degrees of economic and technological change. But few of them understand the struggles of living under a totalitarian regime. Many of them possess a naive optimism that is utterly ignorant of history. And the history books that they have read oftentimes are, re are revisions of that history. And so in 2020, we are seeing the ongoing manifestation of the spiritual struggle between God and Satan. In America, we are seeing the beginning stages of a soft totalitarianism, but few people under the age of 56 seem worried Amen. about the threat. And so the reality is this present age is filled with people acting according to their nature, as we see there in verse 11. This is, it, 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 it can sound like a command, right? It says, um, let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. But it's, it's more accurately a declaration of this present darkness. Those united to evil and filth will act accordingly. Amen. Those united by faith to Christ will do right and be holy. That's what it's saying. Now, it's not ex it's, there's not some naive expectation of perfection here it's just talking about the ongoing categories of good versus evil that struggle that is taking place in every generation and this also was alluded to by daniel in daniel chapter 12 verse 10 it said many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but those who are wise shall understand that was speaking of the latter days of which now we are living. So we never move beyond this battle between good and evil in this present age. This is true even within the community of professing believers. Right? The weeds continue to grow in the midst of the wheat. However, the great day of harvest is coming. As Matthew 13, 30 
teaches us, right? Where the two will be separated from one another for all eternity. The wheat will be gathered into the barn and the weeds will be burned up. Amen. So when we consider the situation of the early church in the, in the first century in Asia Minor, at the end of that first century, we can understand how urgent this particular word of revelation was for them. Right? They were on the verge of compromise to the point that Jesus threatened to remove the lampstand of his light from their midst. He says this to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. So they were condemned for their loss of love for others, both inside and outside the community of saints. So while they possessed a commendable love for the truth of God's revelation, of his word, they struggled to love one another. And they needed to understand that a church which fails to love is on the verge of losing its light. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit applied the words of this prophecy to their community, and they survived. They were renewed. They, can, they, they must have come in repentance before the Lord and renewed their love for others. And of course, this message is not merely for that first century church. It's a message that we all need to hear. It contains wisdom, rebuke, insight, and comfort that all churches need to hear. In every generation, because we live in this present darkness where righteousness is always mixed with filthiness, we need God's word to frequently remind us to walk by faith and not by sight. So where do you find your comfort in the midst of this pandemic? How do you respond when every news channel seems to exaggerate the statistics and the government remains determined to make health decisions for you and your family? Are you grateful that God has given us his word to study and equip us to live in the midst of a world that is broken by sin? We have the privilege of living in an age after that first coming of Christ. And so we benefit from knowing about the ministry and suffering of our Savior. Wickedness and righteousness exist alongside one another, even within the context of the church. And so what sets us apart from the world is not where we go, but what we believe. And so may we not settle for attending church, but may it equip us and spur us onward throughout the week to live in light of the blessings that flow from our salvation. We may or may not face the same kind of persecution that the original audience faced in Asia Minor, but we are united to the church universal across time and space. And so may these words ground us and comfort us in times of tribulation. May they drive us to repentance where we've gone astray. May they lead us to reconciliation with God first and foremost and then with one another where division has occurred. And so we are to act according to this present age in light of the judgment according to your works. That's the second point in verses 12 and 13. Act according to your age and then the second is judgment according to your works. Now, 
Once again, Christ begins to speak here in verse 12. He had previously exhorted his readers to keep the words of revelation that we looked at last week because he is coming soon in verse 6. Now he reiterates that sentiment, I'm coming soon, acknowledging the possibility of his return at any time. Christ's purpose for coming is made clear in this verse, though. It's to bring about the final judgment according to works. All right, so based upon the previous verse that we just read, this is a universal judgment. This is a a scope that covers the righteous and the wicked. All will stand before that great white throne judgment. And if you want to consider that further, you just have to go back a few sermons in the series when we were in Revelation 19, which was now about a year ago. But based upon that previous verse, the recompense and repayment that is in view is universal in scope. Everyone will face judgment, the evil as well as the righteous. You can look at Revelation 20, verse 12, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, Isaiah 40, verse 10. O. Palmer Robertson in his book, The Christ of the Covenant says that Scripture consistently indicates that the final judgment of man shall be according to works. While salvation is by faith, judgment is by works. That's consistent. So the topic of final judgment, it's been confusing for Christians. What exactly is being judged at this time? Well, there's several important truths to keep in mind. First of all, The judgment that is taking place of works is for men and angels. Look at multiple scripture uh, um, examples or references of this. You can look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, section 1, and the scripture proofs that are attached to that, as well as the larger catechism, question 88. But just from this passage here, you have this Greek word uh, is misthos. It's usually translated rewards or wages. Okay, so he's coming on, coming on the heels of verse 11. This recompense that he's bringing will be based upon the deeds that are done. Amen. So works are a necessary consequence of the salvation that Christ has purchased. Because we have been saved by faith, we will produce the fruit of good works. Amen. Secondly, and... Most importantly, at the judgment, believers will be acquitted of all guilt. You've got to have that clear in your mind that when we stand before judgment, we do not stand before him with fear of facing his wrath. We stand in the confidence that we have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we will be acquitted based upon that. Thirdly, unbelievers will be condemned at the judgment. As confident as we are that believers will be acquitted on the day of wrath or on the day of judgment, it will be a day of wrath for unbelievers. Amen. And the evildoer and filthy will receive their wages, which is eternal destruction. Amen. <clears throat> According to 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. So this does not mean, and hear me clearly on this, This does not mean that we place our hope on the last day in the good works that we've done. 
Our righteous deeds cannot earn favor or pardon from God, even though they are graciously rewarded. Our hope is in the one who is bringing the judgment. So the one who is bringing judgment is the one who's been present, witnessing everything that's taking place, not only in this present age, but from the very beginning. And that's what we see in this last verse that we read, verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. So he's saying I'm A to Z. And if he's A and Z, then he's everything in between as well. There's not any part of history where Christ has not been a, a witness to it. And so if Jesus was represented the beginning and the end, then he's present at every point in between, and that is the grounds for his authority to bring about perfect justice. So if Revelation 22, 10 through 11, the first part of our passage, gave us the encouragement to devote ourselves to God's revelation in light of this present age, then these two verses provide the motivation. Since Christ's return is near, and will be unexpected, we must live as if it could be today. And that doesn't mean that we don't plan for the future or fight for issues of temporary justice, but we do all things with the recognition that ultimate justice can only come when Christ returns, and it's coming soon. So ultimate justice can only be carried out by Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only human to perfectly fulfill the righteous demands of the law. Yet he suffered under the wrath of his father, taking upon himself the penalty that our sin deserved. He was separated from the love of God for the first and last time as he hung upon the cross. And so Dane Ortland in his book Gentle and Lowly says like this he says would it not have been the withdrawal of god's love from his heart not the withdrawal of oxygen from his lungs that killed him speaking of jesus what what is it that killed him on the cross it was not primarily the physical torment he died before the other the others that were crucified next to him they had to have their legs broken so that they would suffocate on the cross Jesus is already dead. And it's not because he was weaker. Physically. So it's, it was the withdrawal of God's love, Ortland says, not the withdrawal of oxygen from his lungs that killed him. Who could hold up mental stability when drinking down what God's people deserved? In the presence of this mental anguish, wrote B.B. Warfield, the physical tortures of the, crucifix, of, of the um, crucifixion retire into the background. And we may well believe that our Lord, though he died on the cross, yet died not of the cross, but as we commonly say, of a broken heart. It was the suffering of Christ's heart that overwhelmed what his physical frame could handle. So Ortland continues, he says, but why would he go through with it? 
Why would he step down into the horror of hellish condemnation when he was the one, the only one, who didn't deserve it? John 13, 1 tells us, Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He set his heart on his own. They are his. As John Owen writes, There is not the meanest, the weakest, the poorest believer on earth, but Christ prizes him more than all the world. And so are you certain of the acquittal that awaits you on that day? Do you live in the assurance that Christ's heart is filled with love for you? If you are, you will anticipate his return with hope. Not only that, but hope spurs us on to love and good deeds because we are united to a righteous and holy Savior, one who knows everything from beginning to end, and so we delight to honor him. So we need the help of God's revelation in light of the coming judgment. As God's children, we do not cower in fear of this judgment, but we actually look forward to the day of our final acquittal and the gracious reception of rewards. And the only thing you deserve is eternal judgment, but Jesus offers eternal life. And so there's no greater reward than that. And yet, however, our gratitude extends further because Christ has promised to crown his gifts that our enjoyment might be overflowing for all eternity. And that's the inheritance that awaits the saints. And so let us continue to worship and honor the one who, will, who has purchased that inheritance for us and guaranteed it and kept it in heaven for us on that day. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this reminder that even on the day of judgment, we do not stand in fear as your people. We stand confident because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Lord, it is a, it is a truth that is hard to fathom. Lord, it should be something that we never tire of meditating upon. And as we respond in song and as we participate in the Lord's Supper, maybe be reminded of the tremendous privilege we have to be united to the only one who lived a life that we could not live and then bore the wrath that we deserved in our place. And because of that, we come with reverence, but we come with overflowing joy. And we long to honor you in the way that we pursue righteousness in this life. Protect us and guard us. Through this time of tribulation, cause your church to thrive and cause your saints to stand firm. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Well, I invite you to stand. Our hymn of response is found on page 300 of your Trinity Psalter hymnal, also in your bulletin. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, we'll be singing verses 1, 3, and 4. Amen. You may be seated. As we prepare to take part in the Lord's Supper together, 
we come as believers. We come confessing our faith. And so the Apostles' Creed is something that the church has recited together uh, since it was written. And so we uh, join with the saints across ages and geography to recite this together. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, even as we come as confessing believers, we also come as repentant believers. We come confessing our sin. And so we take some time to reflect upon ways in which we've fallen short of the glory of God. Matthew 18, 3 says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that conversion experience involves faith and repentance. So we take some time here uh, to repent of our sins before the Lord. So quietly in your own hearts, do so, and then we'll hear his assurance of pardon. now this assurance of pardon for those who truly repent and place their faith in Christ alone from 1 John 2 verses 1 through 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that this is a time to enjoy communion with our Savior. We believe Christ is spiritually present with us at the table. It's more than simply remembering what he did for us on the cross. It's enjoying the benefits of his work. And so we enjoy communion or fellowship in his body and blood, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 16, so that what we partake of is actually spiritual food and spiritual drink. Because Christ is present at his table, we enjoy spiritual communion with him. The Lord's Supper 
is where we receive sustaining grace. It's a means of grace, in other words, just like sitting under the preaching of God's word is a means of grace. It's part of how Christ strengthens his people for the tribulation that they face. And so we come with an awareness of weakness and failure. We come bruised and battered by the world. We come discouraged and compromised by our own sin. And yet Jesus extends his invitation to restore us to this honored place at his table. Here we find medicine for poor, sick souls. And so it's required of those who who participate in this meal that they be sincere, instructed, and accountable members of the church of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul warns us in strong terms not to partake in an unworthy manner. He says it's necessary to judge the body rightly. And so the way we understand that is we believe you need to be of an age where you can examine your heart, where you can examine whether you are a believer, trusting in Christ alone, whether you are a repentant believer, not walking in defiance of Christ and his commands, and whether you are an accountable member of the body of Christ. You've been baptized into the church and you're regularly sitting under the preaching of God's word. If that describes you, then we encourage you to come and participate. You don't have to be a member of this particular church or even of our denomination. We believe this is the Lord's table. So if you belong to the Lord, then the table is for you. But we don't believe it's for everyone. And rather than receiving a blessing, if you partake in an unworthy manner, it becomes judgment upon yourself. And so if, if you're not a believer, or if you're not a repentant believer, or if you're not living in an accountable way to Christ and his church, then we encourage you to cry out to him for the gift of faith and repentance during this time. Remain among us and see this visible display of the gospel, but do not partake in it yourself. However, if, if you are a believer you're an accountable believer, if you're a repentant believer, then we encourage you to come. Come reverently, recognizing what Christ has done for you, clinging to him, not in your own righteousness, coming utterly dependent upon him. Nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. And so let's ask for the Lord for the Lord's blessing upon this meal. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this sacrament to partake in. You've instituted it for your church in this particular age. And so it's a practice that the church has continued in every generation. Once again, it reminds us of our unity with you as well as the church universal. Lord, we are your covenant children. And so, Lord, if we are walking by faith, if we are walking in repentance and in an accountable way, then, Lord, this meal is for us. It is your gift to us, in fact. It is for our strengthening, for our equipping, and for our good and perseverance. Lord, we thank you. And that you've uh, made it simple. Lord, you've used common elements, this bread and this cup, 
And so, Lord, we ask that you would set them apart, that you would take this common loaf of bread and this cup and cause us to be edified as we partake by faith that your spirit would be at work. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. One moment, we'll dismiss you and we'll invite you to come. Receive the elements. You'll have a piece of bread to, that you'll receive and a cup, and you'll return to your seat and wait till everyone's been served. And that's a sign of our unity with one another. We'll partake together. This is a reminder the cups on the outside are purple and they're filled with wine. The cups in the middle are clear and they're filled with juice. And then there's also some gluten-free wafers in the very middle if you prefer. So come whenever you're dismissed.
First commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Hear now the Lord's benediction, and then we'll close by singing the doxology. Now to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, may grace and peace abound. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. Please join us in the fellowship hall for a, a time of snacks. And also, if, if your kids, if your kids are in the children's uh, choir, they'll be practicing shortly. <laughs>